Matthew 12, 35, we're talking about words that work. This is uh, our believers meeting, November 28, 2020. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, uh, last, uh, we'll just, I'll just briefly mention a couple of points from the last meeting we had. Uh, we talked about uh, the spirit of faith. We talked about believing and speaking. Faith doesn't, uh, faith is not just believing in your heart. It also speaks with the mouth. We, we talked about faith must be in two places, in your heart and in your mouth. Uh, this is not only the way that we're born again, but this is the way that we receive all uh, of the promises of God. We looked at several scriptures that reveal uh, a heaven and earth connection. Uh, and we saw that words that agree with God's words activate, that activate change, words that activate change uh, begin here on the earth first. We initiate uh, change here on the earth through our words of faith and words that agree with God's word. And then Jesus, uh, our, the apostle and high priest of our confession, he backs up and enforces those words from heaven and then uh, it's released from heaven uh, onto the earth, but it starts here with our words of faith. Uh, we also uh, saw from Romans 5.17 that we're to rule and reign in life as kings in this life on the earth. We exercise authority and we take dominion on the earth uh, with our words, with words of faith. We talked about training ourselves to only speak what we desire to come to pass. Uh, and in order to release faith in our words and believe that everything we say comes to pass. And this is how we come to that place where we believe all of our words come to pass. We only speak what we desire. We only speak what we desire. Now, Christianity has been known as the Great Confession. Uh, as you've noticed in our meetings, we confess the word. We confess words of faith at the beginning of the meeting. We confess words of faith in the middle of the meeting. And we confess words of faith at the end of the meeting. And for people from traditional backgrounds, this may seem a bit strange. But the early church believers, they understood this principle. And this has been lost in the body of Christ over the centuries. Um, the, uh, the principles of faith, the integrity of God's word, the blessing of Abraham was replaced over time with pagan Greek philosophy and uh, man-made religious traditions. And so Satan is the one behind this. Uh, he doesn't care if people sit in church and be quiet. There are millions of people doing that all the time. 
because it stops believers from releasing their faith and, and interfering uh, with his activities on the earth. He wants people just sitting in church being quiet, not saying anything, not affecting any change or anything that will interrupt or interfere with his activity on the earth. Now, um, let's turn to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Uh, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Now these words, um, our confession or our confession of faith, appears three times in the book of Hebrews. And this is one of the places. Uh, Jesus is the voice of our confession in heaven. And we release something on the earth first through our words of faith, and heaven enforces it on the earth. And as I mentioned last time, we talked about the heaven-earth connection. Uh, Matthew 16, 19 was one of the verses we looked at. Whatever we forbid or permit on earth, Jesus backs it up and enforces it from heaven. So our confession is the voice of his word in the earth. Our confession is the voice of God's word in the earth. Uh, flip the page over to, or just across the page, Hebrews 4, 14. This is the second place we find these words. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now the King James Version uses the word profession most of the time. But profession, confession, same word, same Greek word. New King James uses the word confession. King James usually uses profession, but same thing. So let us hold fast our confession of faith. Our confession of faith, that's the subject here. And the next place we see these words, our confession, is Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Now, these word, this word confession that we're seeing here in Hebrews over and over, this word confession is made up of two Greek words, homo and logos. Homo and Logos. And you put them together and it's the word homologia. Homologia. And it means to say the same thing about. To say the same thing about. That's what the word confession means. To speak the same together. And obviously we're talking about to say the same thing that God says. It means an agreement. So to say the same thing that God says about any situation, that's what the word confession here uh, means. God's word is his thoughts, his wisdom, his beliefs, 
and his perspective written down on paper. God and his word are one. You cannot separate God from his word just like uh, you cannot separate you from your word or me from my word. You're as trustworthy as your word. God is as trustworthy as his word. And one of the most effective ways of getting the word in your heart is to hear yourself speak it. When you hear yourself speak the word of God and words that are in agreement with his word, this is one of the most effective and quickest ways to get the word of God planted in your heart. We saw uh, last sessions, Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the anointed rhema word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing the anointed preached word. But when you hear yourself say it, faith comes even more quickly. This is God's principle. Uh, this is his principle way of transferring his faith to you. This is God's principal way of transferring his faith to you is by speaking his word and words that are in agreement with his word. When you hear yourself speak the word of God, God's uh, transferring the faith in his word to you. Now, uh, when it talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word or the rhema word, this word is not talking about the whole Bible. Uh, it's talking about a portion of scripture. So we're talking about confessing a portion of scripture, a, a specific portion that applies to your situation. And the spoken word, the spoken word, when, the word of, when you get the word planted in your heart and your heart begins to get full of the word, and then you speak it, that's what it talks about when it said, talks about the word being a sword of the spirit. You're wielding a sword in the spirit realm. When that word is no longer just something that you heard somebody else say. Uh, now your thoughts are God's thoughts. You believe what he believes. You see uh, the situation the way God sees it. You see it from God's perspective. And now when you speak the word of God out of a heart of faith, it becomes a sword of the spirit that goes in the spirit realm, and, and that's what you're wielding, and that just cuts the devil up and changes things. Now, we all begin at zero when we begin this, when we start out new with this. We just start out at zero where we're just mentally uh, saying something. We're just mentally con confessing the word. We don't really have any conviction about it. We're not persuaded at this point. But we've begun the process of planting the word in our heart. And that's, we all got to start. We all got to start there. That's where we start. And as you get your mind renewed, and you plant, you, you're planting the word of God in your heart by speaking it, and you come into agreement with it, then you begin to take on God's thoughts, and God's beliefs, and God's viewpoint. And, and his beliefs become your beliefs. And his thoughts become your thoughts. And his perspective becomes your perspective. Now you're not just saying something that you heard somebody else say. There's conviction about it. You know, you know this is God's will. You know this is, uh, this is God's word. And it's changing things. 
you're releasing faith in your words at this point. When you get to this point, now, you, now you're releasing faith with your words. You're not just saying something mentally. So words of faith, uh, you're speaking words of faith that are going to affect change in the seen realm. Uh, if you've ever listened to Brother Copeland's tapes, especially back in the 80s, uh, you will have heard him say quite often, faith-filled words dominate the law of sin and death. Faith-filled words dominate the law of sin and death. You go back and listen to his tapes, you hear him say that very often. The confession of the word renews your mind where you begin to think what God thinks and see what God sees. Let's write this down. The word is in your mouth before it gets in your heart. The word is in your mouth before it gets in your heart. Uh, Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, Your heart and your mouth are connected. Your heart and your mouth are connected. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when you get the word of God in your heart in abundance, and then you say something, it's going to come to pass. Romans 10, 10. We won't turn there, but you can just jot it down. Sorry, Bob, what was the last reference? That Matthew 12, 34. Mm -hmm. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Romans 10, 10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So in those uh, verses we looked at over the last couple of meetings, we saw that all these words of Peer together, heart, mouth, believe, confess. Uh, over and over and over, we saw these words appear together uh, throughout Romans. Believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, is not only the way we possess eternal life, but it's the way we possess all the promises of God. The Israelites' promised land was a geographical location. Our promised land is the promises of God. The promises of God in His Word. This is our promised land. All that God has provided by grace, we must possess by faith. All God has provided by grace, we must possess by faith. Now, if you notice here, uh, this word, hold fast, here, and we saw it in, in our other scriptures in Hebrews. These two words, hold fast, means to seize hold of, to put under control. Hold fast. To seize hold of, to put under control. It describes a dominating type of possession. To be strong, to rule and to take custody. So it's like you putting your arms around this thing, you wrap your arms around this thing, and you're not letting go, and you say, I have it, it's mine. 
That's what hold fast means. If the job offer doesn't come, what are you going to do? You're going to continue to confess the scripture and believe what you agreed in prayer until it is manifest. You hold on to the confession of your faith by continually affirming what you agreed on because it's based on the word. That's holding fast. Yes. Let's turn to uh, 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6. Just over back a few pages. 1 Timothy 6, 12. We see this word confess again. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold. Or in other words, you could say hold fast. <laughs> fight the good fight of faith, lay hold. Or fight the good fight of faith, hold fast on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, this, this, these words uh, lay hold here this is a different uh, word from hold fast, or a different Greek word. It basically means the same thing. Uh, it means to take hold of, to seize, sometimes with hostile intent. To take hold of, to seize, sometimes with hostile intent. So these words are not passive, wimpy, mamby-pamby words. Amen? They describe a dominating, forceful type of possession. So the fight of faith is to hold fast and to wrap our arms around what uh, the Word of God we are, we're confessing and we're believing and declaring and not to allow the devil to talk us out of it. And one of his strategies is to use thoughts and feelings. And this is what we have to cast down and resist. Thoughts and feelings that are contrary to the word of God that we're confessing and believing. So Paul is saying you have to overcome what you can see, feel, and hear. Here, that's the, that's the fight of faith, is overcoming what you see, feel, and hear. Overcoming thoughts and feelings. Uh, and we do that by the confession of God's word. Symptoms. Yeah, 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 overcoming symptoms and lack and whatever, whatever's uh, coming against you. Another major strategy of the devil is to get you to speak your own defeat. And this is where real deception comes in on many believers. As long as you hold fast to your confession of faith, Satan cannot stop it from coming to pass. He cannot. He doesn't have the spiritual power to do it. If he did, he'd just stop us from getting saved. He couldn't stop us from getting saved. So he, he can't, he, it's a spiritual law. We, we put these law, uh, spiritual law into motion. We believed in our heart uh, on the Lord Jesus that God's raised him from the dead. And we spoke it with our mouth. Well, he couldn't stop that from coming to pass, and he can't stop anything else from the word of God we confess from coming to pass. But what he tries to do is to pressure you to stop it. 
He wants to pressure you to stop your confession of faith and say, I don't have it. It's not working. There's lots of different ways he can do that. Now, words are spiritual forces. You can't see them, but when you hear them, they form an image in your mind. When you hear words, they form a mental image. If I say dog, you don't see D-O-G. It forms a mental image in your mind of a dog. And this, this is the, it's that way with everything. Uh, this is another reason why you only want to speak the words that you want to come to pass. Because if you're speaking something other than the word of God, those words are going to form a, an image on the inside of you too. And this is how people get an image of sickness and infirmity and poverty. And, uh, you know, they, they have this image on the inside of them. Uh, and they're probably not aware of kind of how it got there. But um, uh, it, it's, it's through speaking words that are contrary to God's word. So this is why... Uh, Speaking God's word is so important because it begins to paint a picture on the inside of you how God sees you. God sees you healed. God sees you blessed. And when you begin to say what God says, that image begins to be formed in you. And it takes a, it takes a while. You know, it takes a while. But if you're diligent about it, it won't take as long as you, as you think it will. So when God created the heavens and the earth, he had an image on the inside of how the earth would look and how it would function. And then he released his faith through his words. We won't turn there, but you can write down Hebrews 11.3. This tells us, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So God had this image on the inside of him of how it was all going to look, and then he released it, and he expressed it through words, and it all came into being. Um, Hebrews 1.3 All things are being upheld by the word of God. How many things? Oh. All things are being upheld by the word of God. The, uh, the word of God is maintaining and upholding this planet in the proper orbit and the proper rotation necessary to sustain life here. It's being upheld by the word of God and it's going to stay that way till God says something else. God doesn't get up every morning and say, like me. <laughs> he doesn't get up every morning and send the stars back, uh, the you know, sun back out and the moon back out and, uh, and everything. Uh, he said at one time, and it's still being upheld by his word. And until he says something else different, it's going to stay that way. Genesis 1, 26, 27, we looked at that previously, and we saw how God created us in his own image and likeness with the capability of speaking spirit words, words that, that are spirit and life, 
words that carry authority and have creative power to affect change. God created us with that same ability that he has. But when Adam sinned, he lost the ability to put spirit life in his words. <coughs> he lost the ability to put spirit life in, he were, in his words and he began to speak death and old and sick and hurt and poor and these kinds of words. He, he never talked like that before. Until he sinned, those words, he didn't even know what those things were. But he lost the ability to put spirit life in his words after he sinned. This is how Satan gained access to our mouth to influence our everyday speech and say things that we don't want to come to pass and, and put us in the place where we are no longer releasing life and faith in our words. John 6.63, Jesus said, The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Amen. Amen. Jesus spoke, he only spoke words that had life in them. The way to get words to work for us is to put God's word in our mouth. The way to get words to work for us is to put God's word in our mouth. God's words will bring blessing, healing, favor, protection, deliverance. So when we only speak words that are in agreement with God's words, we get spiritual life back in our words. That's how we get spiritual life back in our words. When we only say words that are in agreement with God's word. Now, God gave Joshua a success formula. Keys to dealing wisely in all of our affairs. In Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law, or the word of God, that's the only word they had back then, was just the law. This book of the law, or the word of God, shall not depart out of thy mouth. In other words, keep saying what God said. These, this is one of the keys of, to success that God gave Joshua. Just keep saying what I say. Don't let these words depart from your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now the word uh, meditate means to ponder or to speak to oneself. To ponder or to speak to oneself. You meditate on something all the time, even when, if you don't realize it. Worry is a form of meditation. It's thinking about something and seeing the worst case scenario that hasn't even happened yet. That's a form of meditation. And you can do that and still do your job. You can do that all day and carry on your work. <laughs> you know, whether you're at the house, whether you're cooking or working on a project or you're outside, you know, in office or whatever, 
You, you can carry on this meditation of the, of the worst case scenario or something and carry on your work. You can be typing, you can be working on something and all this is still going on in your mind. Well, in the same way, you can take a scripture from God's word and you can keep your mind focused on it all day and still manage to do your job. Imagine what that scripture would look like in your life. This is also part of meditating on the word. Think about, imagine what, what would my life look like if I was actually walking in this at the present. So we need to see ourselves defeating the giants in our lives. We need to see ourselves laying our hands on the sick and they recover like Jesus did. We need to see ourselves like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing up for what's right in a hostile world. The world system operates out of man's intellect, and the physical realm involving the five physical senses. The world system operates out of man's intellect and the five physical sense realm. God's system operates in the spiritual realm out of the reborn human spirit. God's system operates in the spiritual realm in and through the reborn human spirit. So he went on to say, meditate on the word day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I think one of the Amplified maybe says, thou shalt deal wisely in all the affairs of life. So God told Joshua the way to have success. Put God's word first place in your life. Secondly, speak it to yourself. Thirdly, dwell on it. Think about it and apply it. This was God's success formula to Joshua and it's his success formula to us. This will cause your soul to prosper and bring it in line with your spirit man. This causes, uh, prospers your soul <coughs> and causes it to come in line with your spirit man. Sorry, Mom. <coughs> I missed the first bit. God's word operates in the spiritual realm, and then it was something... Out of the reborn human spirit. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And so, no evil will befall me. Amen. Neither shall any plague come Amen. near my dwelling. Amen. You got it. And I it hadn't come... all the time. Amen. Amen. You know what that is? That's... Confession of faith is what, um, is it Ephesians uh, 6.16 talks about the shield of faith. I think I was going to mention that here at some point. But the confession of your mouth builds a shield of faith around you. That's what the shield of faith is in Ephesians 6.16 is the result of confessing God's word that puts a, an invisible, like a force field around you. And, it, and what does it say? Uh, that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
those fiery darts will just bounce off that shield of faith and they won't even get near you. Amen? I've not thought of that before, the shield of faith. Yeah. Praise God. That's, it's, it's, it's the result of speaking God's word. So your soul can prosper to the point where you immediately resist the first symptom that tries to come on your body. You immediately resist the first symptom of lack or anything. Uh, this, is, this is the prosperity of the soul. And, and the first thing that comes across your mind is my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and like Anne said, no evil will befall me. Uh, I require my body to be strong and healthy, and I enforce it with the word of God. That's, that's when your soul starts prospering. These things start coming out of your mouth at the first symptom. Amen. You will resist the first symptom of lack. God supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I'm a tither. The windows of heaven are opened over me. Uh, I, I, the devourers rebuke for my sake. I'm a sower. I'm furnished in abundance for every good work. That's why we say all these things at our tithes and offerings. We're, we're, we're prospering our soul. We're bringing our soul into agreement with our spirit man. We're putting the shield of faith around us. We're not just wasting time here when we do that. There's a reason. There's a reason for this. We're causing our soul to prosper. And this shield of faith will repel whatever the devil brings against you and it will attract the blessings of God to you. That's the process here. Now let's go back to our uh, starting scripture in Matthew 12 that we started out with. Matthew 12 verse 36 but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment now what is an idle word what are idle words if you go to the Greek if you go to the Greek and look at it it means unprofitable, non-working, that's what idle, idle's not working, or injurious. Words that are unprofitable, non-working, injurious. What do I mean by non-working? Words that don't work for you. Amen? Words that are not working for you. They're hurting you. They're harming you. They're unprofitable. They're, they're, they're working against you. This is the way Satan has deceived the church. That's what it means by idle words. Words that work against you and not for you. These are idle words. Idle words usually contradict God's word and they give place to the devil. These are two Characteristics of idle words. They usually contradict God's word, and secondly, they give place to the devil. These are idle words. He goes on to say, verse 37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, 
We've all read this many times, and we've, we've, we've always assumed that this was talking about being condemned to hell. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about damnation in hell when he talks about, by thy words you shall be condemned. The word condemned here means to act as judge, to pass sentence upon. To act as judge, to pass sentence upon. Jesus is saying, you will have the results of what you say. And when you speak words that are contrary to God's word, they work against you. Those words will pass a sentence upon you. The results that go with a particular judgment. So you're speaking words against yourself. You're testifying against yourself, basically. We're going to get to that. <laughs> Nancy's on the right, right in the spirit on the right trail. Idle, idle words that contradict God's word or give place to the devil will condemn or pass a sentence upon you. You'll get the results of what you've said. That's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, in Mark 4, where Jesus talked about the parable of the sower sows the word, he talked about how the seed represents the word of God and your spirit man represents the ground that the seed's planted in, the human spirit. And in verse 26, Jesus said, The whole kingdom of God is if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise day and night, the seed should spring up and grow, he knoweth not how. So he said the whole, and he also said, if you can understand that parable, you can understand all parables. The whole kingdom of God operates on the principle of planting and reaping what you plant. This is the way everything in the kingdom of God works. And the same is true with words. He's telling us how the kingdom of God works inside of us. Jesus said, uh, what, Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God's within you. And he's talking about planting words on the inside of you. We plant words in the kingdom of God, which is in us. That's what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is within you. He said, it's not out here. Don't, look, don't say here it is or there it is. The kingdom of God is within you. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Jesus is saying you will reap a harvest of the words that you speak. And that's what he meant when he said by your words you'll be justified, or by your words you'll be condemned. He's just saying if you speak words in agreement with God's words, you're going to reap the blessings of it. And if you speak words contrary to God's words, you're also going to reap it, but you're going to pass a sentence upon yourself uh, of things that you don't want. Words are spirit and words are seed. And this is how Satan has blinded the minds of people as to how the kingdom of God operates. And as a result of speaking idle words, unprofitable words, 
non-working words, injurious words that work against them and not for them, people will suffer the consequences for what uh, they have said by losing things. They're going to lose out on things they could have had because of the words that they've been speaking on the earth. And consequently, they will lose out on rewards in heaven as a result of what they've been speaking. This is what Jesus is saying. This is pretty serious, isn't it? <laughs> this is pretty serious. So if you get in a situation where you can't say anything good about it, put the zipper on your mouth. Just put the zipper on. Don't give place to the devil by speaking idle words. Now, as Nancy mentioned, the Israelites, let's look at them. Numbers 13. Numbers 13. We have the account of the spies that were sent to Canaan to survey the land. Now, the King James version uses the word spies, but they were actually the leaders of Israel. Uh, in verse 27 here, it says, um, and they told him and said, we came into the land. Uh, we went to the land. I'm reading from the New King James. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they did speak of the goodness of the land, uh, but that's not what they kept looking at. They did say, yeah, we went there, it's a good land, but that's not what they continued to focus on and look at. You remember last time we talked about uh, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are unseen. I think it's 2 Corinthians 4.18. We look not at the things which are seen, but the things uh, which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary and subject to change, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And we saw where it says, while we look not, those words look not doesn't mean ignore. It just means don't keep looking at it. Don't keep focusing on it. But that's what the Israelites did here. They, they, they admitted the goodness of the land, but they, can, they kept focusing on the giants and the cities and the difficult situation. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now they're... They're uh, focusing on what they saw that was negative. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Can you hear the attitude in his voice? Can you hear the attitude? Can you hear the ring of victory in his voice? What did we say? The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. Let's say that together. The spirit of faith is the spirit of victory. And this is another example of faith does not deny what you see and hear and feel. It was a fact that there were giants there. It was a fact that the walls were 
fortified. It's a fact that it was a difficult situation in the natural. And Caleb didn't ignore those facts. He admitted it. But that's not what he focused on. <coughs> he said God is with us, not the enemy. We are well able to overcome it. So we talked about how faith involves things that are not seen and things that are not yet. <coughs> and speaks of them as though they already existed. Faith involves things that are not seen and not yet and speaks of them as though they already existed. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's, talk, he's speaking of things that's not seen and not yet, but he's talking about it as if we're already, we already got it. Verse 31. But the man who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. They keep going back to the... They've already forgotten about the goodness. They've already forgotten about the grapes and the rivers and the valleys and the streams. They've already forgotten about that. They're going back again to the giants. Uh, we're not able to go up against the people for they're stronger than we. Uh, and they didn't factor God into the situation. Verse 32. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of a great stature. Now, these words, evil, oh, sorry, evil report. They brought up an evil report. Uh, some translations say a bad report or a negative report. Um, <coughs> this word also means to defame or to slander, the act of damaging someone's good reputation. So they were actually bringing a report that was a slander to God, really, and they were damaging God's good reputation by saying he can't do this. He can't bring us, and he can't do what he said he would do. He can't bring us, he can't overcome the enemy. Their report was evil because it was based on their physical senses, what they saw, what they felt, and what they heard. That's an evil report, to slander or the act of damaging someone's good reputation. Uh, so what have they done here? They put a question mark over God's ability to deliver them and to provide for them. And in that sense, it's an evil report. It, it defamed God's reputation because it was contrary to his word and contrary to his covenant with Abraham. God considers any report that disagrees with him to be evil. God considers any report that disagrees with him to be e evil or slanderous. Now, this is not the first time this has happened. <laughs> this is not the first time this has happened. This actually was the last straw. <laughs> if you go on to read this, God is fed up. 
and he's ready to wipe them out. And if it hadn't been for Moses, he probably would have. But Moses pleaded with him to have mercy on them. Mo Moses said, God, if you wipe them out, all the surrounding nations are going to say their God was not able to, to bring them to the land that he promised them. So God said, okay, I won't wipe them out. But if you go on over to chapter 14 of Numbers 22, God says, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Are these people suffering the consequences of what they've said? Yeah. This is piled up. This is an accumulation of days and days and experience after experience of what they have said. We're going to die out here. You brought us out here to die. It would be better that we had stayed in Egypt. Uh, can God provide water in the desert? Can God provide manna in the desert and so forth? Over and over and over. Uh, over and over and over. This, they're, they're now reaping the consequences of what they've been saying. Are they experiencing the loss of rewards as a result of what they've said? Yes. Gosh just said, you're not going there. That, this was their reward. That land was their reward. And God said, uh, you're not, this people, what, 20 years and uh, older, you're not, you're going to die out here. Idle words. Have their words passed a sentence on them and condemned them? Yeah, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 12, 37, when he said, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. It's no doubt that it was God's will for them to enter the land because God had given it to them. But when they began to murmur and complain in the wilderness, they let the promise slip away. They said, you brought us out here to die, and they prophesied their own destruction. They didn't keep God's word in their mouth and hold fast to their confession. Now, uh, you might hold your place there. Um, let's look at he Hebrews 4.2. Hebrews 4.2 talks about some of these events concerning the Israelites. Hebrews 4, oh, sorry. Hebrews 4.2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the words preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. It's important to mix faith with the word of God. Let's write this down. You mix you mix faith with the word. Get a drink. There's no water, is there? I got some. You mix faith with the word. 
when you give voice to it. You mix faith with the word when you mix, uh, when you give voice to it and you speak it out of your mouth. This is how you mix faith with the word. Your mouth is the mixer. Because many church members don't understand the principles of a confession of faith, they think they're speaking the truth when they tell it like it is. I always get the flu this time every year. I'll be the first one to get it. I can't pay my bills. I can't understand the Bible. My prayers don't get past the ceiling. They don't understand how the kingdom of God works. They don't understand how the how confession of faith works. They don't understand idle words and how they're passing judgment on themselves with the words that they speak. And they're going to receive the results of what they've been saying. Can you see how the devil has blinded the church to this? Good people that love God. God said you're redeemed from the curse of the law and the blessing of Abraham is yours. Now let's go back to Numbers 14, 24. Uh, God said, you know, you're going to die out here. Uh, I'm not going to wipe you out, but I'm going to give you what you've said. You're going to reap the consequences of what you've been saying about me and about you. And you're going to die out here. And, and he goes on to say, verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now when God said, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, what different spirit did Caleb have? The spirit of faith. Amen. That's what we've been talking about for the last two meetings. What, is, what was the spirit of faith? Let us go up immediately, for we can overcome it. That's the spirit of faith. Let us go up. As soon as he heard the bad news, he said, let us go up immediately and overcome it. Other translations say, there's no question that we can conquer it. I know we can do it. We can easily take that land. Those are other translations. Let's say this together. The spirit of faith, the spirit of faith. is the spirit of victory. Caleb held on to this confession of faith for 45 years. And most of us, 45 days is stretching it. You know what I mean? That's why his name is in this book. Amen? And all these other people in Hebrews 11, Hallelujah. Praise God. We, we pick it up in Joshua 14.10. And now behold, this is, this is Caleb now, 45 years later. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, 
I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. He still got the spirit of faith, doesn't he? He still got the spirit of faith. He says, I'm, 80, I'm now 85, but give me that mountain. What God said 45 years ago, I'm able to take it. I'm just as strong now as I was then. Give me that mountain which the Lord spoke in that day. Caleb experienced the wilderness the same as all the other people. But he never let go. He never changed his confession of faith. He never changed it. And you know he had lots of opportunities in 45 years stuck out there with those murmurs and complainers and whiners and wimpy people. He had lots of opportunities to join in. And he, he and Joshua didn't do it. They managed to protect themselves and they went over and they built their own fire and they sat together and they talked faith to one another for 45 years and let the rest of them stay <coughs> over here and complain and whine. Amen? Amen. Let's say this together. Father, forgive me, Father, forgive me. For, using for using my words foolishly, idly. Not believing and doing what you said concerning my mouth. I ask you to set a watch over my mouth. Alert me so that I don't say wrong words. I speak words that agree with your words. I speak words that work for me. Not against me. God is promoting me. I'm recovering. I'm getting better. I have favor everywhere I go. My business is increasing. Buyers are coming to me. I'm always at the right place at the right time. Amen.